TCKs of Asia presents an online public forum. Language and Power Stories from Asia. Welcome, everyone, wherever you are. My name is Isabel Min, and I'm speaking to you from Seoul, Korea. You are here for a reason. And I am delighted that you are listening in today because this is where we explore the Asian twist to the TCK narrative. Have you ever felt uncomfortable that people around you perceived you as superior for speaking a certain language or perhaps inferior for speaking it with a wrong accent? In this forum, you will hear about the experiences of third culture kids who went to schools where the dominant language and culture were different from home. You will hear about how it affected them, including how they struggled with a sense of internalized racism. This was a very personal forum for me because here I get interviewed by TCK anthropologist Danao Tanu and I end up revealing the nitty-gritty details of my childhood in international schools. So here on, you will now begin by listening to Aiko Minamatsu as she opens up the forum and invites Danao to speak. So enjoy. As we step into this topic of language and power, we would like to ask you uh, two questions to consider. So the first question is, what do you think is your native language? And just as a note, we're using the word native language on purpose with the aim to get you thinking about our forum topic, language and power. Okay, so the first question is, what do you think is your native language? Okay, and the second question we'd like you to consider is, what is your relationship with the English language? Okay. And so with this, I would like to invite my friend and anthropologist and author of Growing Up in Transit, Dr. Danao Tanu, to speak. So over to you, Danao. Thanks a lot, Aiko. And welcome, everyone. Um, we're really happy that you're here. Um, thanks for coming, uh, for signing up and then coming. Um, so, uh, so we'd like to talk about language and power today, as you know. And, but before that, I'll just introduce a bit about my background so you know who you're talking to. Um, so as Aika said, I'm a researcher, um, anthropologist, and I research about third culture kids. And you know, when I was 30-something, I went back to high school, to an international school to do this research. Apart from that, my father is Indonesian of Chinese background, and my mother is Japanese. And I suppose I was born in illegally Canadian, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So when I go asked, you know, what is your native language? I'm usually I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, I suppose English is my first, blah blah blah. You know, all these different thoughts come up. So that might have happened to you, but it's it was just like 
trying to get us to start thinking about this as you listen to um, Isabel and myself share a bit. So why is the topic language and power today? Um, so, uh, and you know, why is our forum called TCKs of Asia? Uh, basically, when I started doing my research on third culture kids, I first read about um, the, the book Growing Up, I'm sorry, Growing Up Among Worlds. Uh, the, growing Up Among Worlds, the experience of what? A third culture kids growing up among worlds, right? Uh, by Ruth Van Raken and David Pollock and the so-called TCK Bible. And I could relate to it so much to the point where, you know, I found myself breaking down and crying for about an hour because it was like it was speaking to me, it was speaking, naming all my experiences. And so I could relate to it. And yet there was, I felt like after I finished reading it and exploring it, felt like there was an ex part of my experience that was missing. And that was this, you know, a layer of my experience that was missing from it, which was sort of, I don't know if you could call it this, but like being a minority within the third culture kid community or sort of having, you know, coming from a home where we don't speak the language the do or that is part of the dominant culture of the school that um, a lot of us go to. And I think a lot of us go to, you know, not, not all, not all third, third culture kids, but a lot of third culture kids go to English speaking schools, right? And whether that's international schools or if you've um, grown up in the US, UK, when you're not from there. Um, and so that, you know, be going to a school where the home culture is different from the school, that was, that was sort of missing for me anyway. Um, and the other part is that English, you know, has a big status, a language that's quite powerful, has a very powerful status. And that, how does that a huge impact on our identities? And so the aim today is sort of to tease out these experiences and talk about them and to highlight topics that may not be commonly spoken, talked about in the third culture community, uh, third culture kid community, and to sort of open up that space and give us permission to talk about it. Because sometimes we might feel um, uncomfortable uh, because we're afraid we might offend people when we talk about it, or we might feel uncomfortable because it comes with a privilege and don't quite know how to talk about that. So we're just sort of like open up the space to talk about this. And, you know, and some of us may not be aware of the huge impact that it has on our identity. And to do that, um, so I did my research on third culture kids, but then when I met Isabel, so I met Isabel, Iko, and a lot of the people on this team at Families in Global Transition at a conference um, last year in April, I think. And when I spoke to Isabel, I felt that her life story um, encapsulated a lot of these issues really well. And so today what we'd like to do is uh, sort of have a chat. It's like a conversation with Isabel for the first, um, the next 20 minutes. And then perhaps after that, um, we'd like to open up the floor to um, discussions. If that's okay. So, Isabel, um, could you sort of uh, begin by introducing yourself a little bit about your background and also, um, and also, yeah, your, ba your, your background and also the time uh, where, where Korea, you're from Korea, but um, where Korea was at the time when you grew up overseas. Thank you. Sure, for now. Um, let me help you. So I was born in mid sixties and I'm based in Seoul, Korea. As Aiko has mentioned, I have worked now for over 30 years. Um, but my life started 
um, in the U.S. My father was a diplomat, a Korean diplomat. And when I say that I'm a TCK, a diplomatic kid in particular, people get this impression. They have they form this impression of affluence, of of privilege. And yes, compared to other people in Korea at that time, we were more more affluent and privileged. That is true. But what I want to say is that at the time I was born in the 60s, Korea was one of the poorest countries in the world. And so um, there we were. My dad was a very poor diplomat. And on top of that, we they had five children, my parents. So um, by the time I was a teenager, I was living, the family was living in Rome, Italy, and I was speaking Korean and Italian. And um, we were the only family who could not afford to send family within the embassy who could not send their kids to English-speaking schools. So I went to Italian public school. And um, I also want to add, in addition to being a very poor country, um, it was in the 70s when I started learning English for the first time. And Korea, as a matter of fact, past the 80s, 1980s, 1990s on, we became more prosperous. And in fact, um, past the 2000, K-pop, K-drama became popular. And so my teenage years were formed at a time when Korea was just going from unknown, very poor, to being visible around the world. So that has been part of my life. And today, as you all know, we are rather uh, economically more strong. Uh, We've been uh, leading 15 countries in the world. And so it's been a quite interesting um, change. So I think that would contextualize where I'm coming from. And I have, I'm married, I have a son, and I have done many, many things in my 30 years of career. Thanks, Isabel, for that background. And so I know Aiko asked everybody else, you know, what's your relationship with English? So why don't we start with you? Uh, what's your relationship with English? Well, my relationship with English is complicated. Uh, it was a difficult relationship at first because I was already in puberty when I started learning English and I was already speaking Korean and Italian. Uh, but going to an American school in Brazil really uh, affected my self-esteem in a big way. I was, I'm a very talkative extrovert person, but suddenly I was that dumb kid. So I have been humiliated. I felt shame. And the funny thing is over the course of my life, once I had start, started speaking English fluently, uh, English has become my asset. And a source of pride in a way, uh, because my career was mostly built on English, including becoming a simultaneous interpreter and doing the radio and uh, TV uh, using English. So there has been a lot of privilege and money coming with it. But at the same time, there was a lot of guilt associated with it as well, being one of the few who spoke English fluently at that time. So I must confess, that despite my speaking English uh, rather fluently as I speak my Korean, one thing that comes to me is um, it will never be perfect. 
I mean, I'm not striving for perfection, perfection, but it's not my native. Even my native tongue, Korean, as well as I speak it, um, there will never be an end to it. So despite all my five languages, I will never, it will never end. It's an ongoing relationship with English. Right. So the sense of, you know, sometimes not having one native language um, where you speak so many languages, but not one of them is, you know, like really native as um, is probably an experience that a lot of people share. Um, so thanks for sharing that. But so you mentioned that you, you know, you went, you first, what you remember was going to Italy, speaking Italian, and then going to the uh, American International School in Brazil, and that having a huge impact. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience? You know, what was your, what were your first impressions about the school and what were the experiences that made you feel the way you did? I think you said it felt dumb and yeah. so on. So. At that time in Brasilia, in the American school in Brazil, and that was my first encounter with American culture, uh, there were not that many Asians. To the best of my knowledge, it was like 5% or less than 5%. Mostly it was Brazilians and uh, quite a few Americans and a few Canadians, a few Europeans, but very few Asians. And um, while I had not felt that way elsewhere, I felt very small, ignored, um, speaking Italian, Korean only. It meant I was virtually deaf. I mean, I wasn't able to express myself. So, and on top of that, I, um, having been schooled in Italy, in Italy you have a five-year elementary school and then you go to the sixth grade becoming a junior high student. So in my mind, I was already in the junior high. But because I was a sixth grader, I was supposed to be in the elementary school by the American standards. But again, because I couldn't speak English, they put me in the fifth grade. So in my mind, I was down <laughs> two grades. And there I was learning. And my, physically, I was really much more mature uh, in puberty. And the bo- there would be boys who would just come in my face and burp at me. And I couldn't find it because I, I didn't have the language. So such things, such feeling of powerlessness, uh, frustration, I think, uh, that, that's how I felt. And um, not being able to express myself was really painful. And so that I started accepting the sense of um, inferiority, mm-hmm. feeling less than, and to... So, so just go, going back to how it felt in the in the first days, not knowing the culture, for example, um, the year was 1976, and that was the 200th year uh, of the American um, independence, the July 4th. So they were preparing for the parade, except I had no idea what this all was. So there was this a group of children who were doing a parade with this boy right in front wearing the is it the american military uh uniform with a, a bandana or a band you know bandaged head with symbol symbolizing uh blood red and he was playing the drum and the song went like da 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 and of course i am i'm clueless what that's supposed to mean but that was just the beginning i had no idea how american indians had been you know, who they were, what they were doing, except I was learning it in social studies in the fifth grade. And so all these things just, just made me feel like um, 
I was stupid. I, I, I was deficient. There was something that I couldn't speak about. And it just seemed so much more um, fit, meaning hmm. it, compared to the Korean culture, um, it just felt like I was inferior and they, I had to learn, I had to fit in. And, that was simple. Mm, and what were some of the things that you tried to do to fit in? Because I think you shared some stories and they were quite interesting. So yeah. I was wondering if you could share that. A couple so, of I, I remember being very embarrassed by everything that was Korean. And I had no way of explaining it. For example, uh, one of the things that I noticed early on and later on, when I went to middle, uh, junior high, kids were all wearing these uh, fashionable clothes like Levi's, Lee, Wrangler jeans and such. And I had no idea where to get them. So I remember taking on my pa- the jeans that I, my parents had bought me and trying to fit it really, really tight to my body by wearing it in the bathtub <laughs> and pinning closest as I could to my body and then drying it, drying those pins and then fixing it with my mom's sewing machine, trying to dress like other people when I didn't have those clothes or the, or the Adidas shoes at that time. So those are one of some of the painful memories. And also many, many years later, when I went back to and saw the American um, lunch boxes that all the kids in elementary school used to carry but that had uh, superheroes or Barbie designs, I didn't know where to get those. So I always felt like um, I don't fit in. <laughs> yeah. Those small things. And I guess, um, you know, as from an adult perspective, we think about, you know, superhero lunch boxes and jeans and it's like, so what? Um, but I guess as children, you know, it's, it's not just about the jeans. It's not just about the lunchbox. It's about being a part of the group and that sense of belonging. So I guess this is why it matters so much. Um, even though from the adult perspective, it seems so trivial, right? Um, and so those experiences, you know, struggling in school to fit in, struggling with the language. Did you share these stories with your parents? Like, did you share, share your struggles with your parents? No. Why not? Because they were making such an investment, realized that Korea was very poor and the government could not subsidize for um, the children's tuition in international schools. So my parents couldn't afford to send other other children, my, my brothers and sisters, but I was the number four and the first one to go to be sent to an international or English-speaking school. So they had high hopes. My father had never learned English in, in the native, you know, those countries. So he had to learn it from dictionaries. So he was really proud of me and it meant a lot. So how could I share, despite all this investment, that I was suffering? I couldn't. And moreover, I don't think, you know, it was embarrassing also. There were many moments where I compared the American dads, for example, how they were natural with their children, how they seemed so egalitarian, helping out at home, whereas my father's uh, hierarchical way that he treated my mom or us being the patriarchal guy. In those days, that seemed so outdated and I was so angry at it. So I didn't feel that they would understand what I was learning. But I accepted the superiority of English over Korean and um, more um, that Western culture was better. I internalized Mm -hmm. it all in those days. 
Right. And so then after Brazil, I think you went to uh, Libya. Libya. Yeah. And then to a British school there, and then back um, to Italy. Um, Milan, Italy, yeah. Yeah, international school. Yeah. And then after that, you repatriated to Korea, I think. And like, I think you were still in high school or something when you repatriated. So after being absent for what? Is that a decade or something? Um, what was that experience of repatriation like? So I'm guessing this is like mid 80s or something, right? Uh, early 80s. And early 80s. Yeah, over after Brazil, my stints were really, really quick paced. Half a year in Libya and then a year and a half or two in Milan. So I was still in puberty and going through the change. So at the end of high school, I am repatriated. And uh, my expectation was that I would fit right in because I spoke. Korean fluently, so there should be no challenge. Yes, academically, I had suffered because of all these sudden changes. So my self-esteem in academic, it was was very low, but I had learned how to make friends. So that seemed quite easy until um, the first days of school, I'm realizing how the girls are all coming up to the corridor. There's a window on the corridor side, and they're all looking at me and pointing, that's the girl, because I was the only girl who had ever lived elsewhere who spoke English fluently. And teachers would single me out during classroom saying, who's the girl? Come out, introduce yourself, et cetera, et cetera. And it didn't take me long to realize that I was a stock of envy. They all wanted to know, did you have boyfriend? Did you have parties? And how was it? What was your life like? And suddenly it struck me. So they are envious. And my, I could easily cheat it by saying my life was tough. That I had lived the life of their fancy. But something just stuck there. And I realized if I am above them, and if I have always felt less than elsewhere, then is it that I'm in the middle, Korea isn't at bottom, and the rest of the world, the West or America is higher? That didn't sit well with me because my dad is a diplomat and we had always been trained to take pride in our country. So that was the beginning of my dilemma. Pretty soon I decided that's not going to happen. And that's where I spent the rest of my life basically doing intercultural understanding, talking to people that there is all this language, power, everything is very superficial. It's all in the mind. And there's no such thing as superiority, inferiority. And I think becoming aware of all of this is so important. It's a self, it's part of my advocacy. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Isabel, um, for sharing and pretty much like bearing your all because these are, you know, sensitive topics. and. You know, it hurts. I think I think sharing it takes a lot of bravery. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and listening to your story, what strikes me is that when I did my research and collected my um, data, it was 2009 um, among high school kids. So this is like I don't know, 25 years on or something like that. Um, and yet, and and as you said, you know, Korea used to be very poor, and now it's a prosperous country. So Korea's place in the world has changed. And yet, um, a lot of your experiences, I think, are still relevant today. I think a lot of kids nowadays 
um, would still would still be able to relate to that. Um, and so I, I want to just share a couple of stories, a few stories from my research as well as myself, so that you're not alone in this. Um, Save me. You know, for example, um, during my research, one of the Japanese girls um, was at the international school. Um, you know, kind of complained because the teachers were always saying. You know, why are the Japanese and the Koreans and whatever, whoever else who don't really speak English well but uh, stick together? Like, why aren't they integrating and why aren't they, um, you know, becoming international, so to speak? And so there was this assumption that being international was neutral and that anyone who wanted to could be, you know, was not racist and all of this could be um, international. But for this Japanese girl, um, you know, English wasn't her native language. Um, she said, it was really hard. It's really hard to integrate into this group because it's not about me trying to be international. It's about me having to become Western. And she says, you know, I'd have to like talk like an American and fling my ar- arms out and go, well, that's great. But for a Japanese, that's really hard to do. Um, I gotta say, Danelle, I have to interrupt. I used to walk in the American way. Even today, I know how to make those steps, which is which was ridiculed in the first days of, of living back in Korea. What are you trying to do? Dance your way? Right. Um, yeah. So she she struggled. And then another story is um, the Korean kids. There were a lot of Korean kids at the school that I was doing research at, and some of them spoke English really well because then had they had gone through the international school system or lived in the UK or whatever um, since kindergarten. Um, and then others couldn't speak English very well because they had come as a teenager, for example. And the thing is, the ones who spoke English well would tell me that sometimes they can sense that their English-speaking teachers would prefer to talk to them uh, rather than their friends who couldn't speak English very well. And they told they were saying that it just feels really uncomfortable because I can sense that the teacher prefers me, but it doesn't feel good because I guess from their perspective, it's like, it means that when I'm engaging with the teacher, if the teacher's not talking to the other student, that means I'm participating in this sort of system of excluding um, those who can't speak the language. Um, and so I think that sort of power dynamic is still very relevant today. And even for myself, I remember when I was 15, so I'm about 10 years younger than Isabel. So this would have been, what is this? Uh, early 90s, um, where I think I was 15 or something like that. And I wanted, my, my, my mom was scolding me and like what teenager likes it when your mom scolds you. Um, and I was frustrated and I wanted to, you know, tell her my perspective. But on the one hand, there was a genuine frustration because I speak in Japanese with my mom. My mom can't speak English very well. Um, and on the one hand, I was frustrated that I couldn't express myself well enough in Japanese. I couldn't say the things that I wanted to say, even though I was fluent, my vocabulary was limited, etc. But then on the other hand, I started to, I was so frustrated that I kind of spoke in English really fast to my mom and I knew she wouldn't be able to understand it, but there was a sense of like, um, you take that, right? And then, and my mom sensed that that sort of, I was using English as a power tool almost. And she got really angry, <laughs> angrier than she was before. And she said, oh, is that what this international school is doing to you? Well, in that case, why don't we withdraw you from the school? Mm-hmm. And initially I didn't take her seriously, but, and she could tell, so, but, you know, but she just went on and I was like, 
in the end, I was like, I'm so sorry, mom, um, for doing that. But that was, for me, it was one of the best lessons that my parents have taught me because while I was aware of this power and privilege and, you know, I would try to not show it to my friends, et cetera, but it sort of was almost living inside. And, it, you know, for my mom to just kind of like chop that tree down um, was really helpful for me. And so I think um, these experiences sometimes with English, it's, you know, it's a mixture. I think different contradictory feelings can exist at the same time. Um, sometimes it's a sense of superiority, or, but and then at other times it's a sense of inferiority where you feel intimidated speaking, you know, because you always feel like, like for me, I don't feel like I look the part for speaking English, right? I, I, I'm not blonde, etc. Um, and so I feel intimidated speaking to people who look the part. Um, and so those kinds of feelings can coexist and it's been a long journey trying to overcome them. Um, and that's sort of like why we're trying to do this forum, um, why we're raising these issues, not to vent, but sort of to, you know, it's a very complex issue. And so what we're trying to do is to sort of tease that out and understand it a bit more and understand the impact that it's had on our experiences, um, to tease out those power dynamics. Um, you know, these feelings of guilt and shame of the privilege, etc. And so now we'd like to open the floor to discussions. So it's not just Isabella and I talking. Um, we'd like um, a lot of other people. Yeah, anyone else who would like to share um, to speak? And we'd like to start um, by asking what resonates with you um, of the things that we've raised and why, you know? So hi, um, hi everyone. I'm Emma. Um, I'm my passport. I am Japanese by birth. Like my passport's Japanese, uh, but I learned English when I was four. So when uh, the question of what is my native language, I would say, okay, Japanese is my native language. But actually, in my case, um, for me, it's actually language has always been sort of an issue of privilege. So because I don't really remember when I learned it, um, but I went back and forth. And as a teenager, when I moved back again to the U.S., I never really had a problem of not being able to speak English. Um, I didn't know the slang. I didn't know the culture. Yeah, that's that there. Um, but uh, I think I had more difficulty when I, every time I moved back to Japan, and kind of like uh, what Isabel said, like people thought, oh, wow, you speak English. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. So um, it's kind of a... I mean, okay, so one side, yeah, they're envious, but it makes you feel like an outsider, right? Because it's sort of like, oh, you're so amazing. And it's weird because it's not anything that, I, it's not like I studied it and learned it as an adult. It's, it's not really anything to do with my effort, really, because I was so young when I first learned it. Um, so, and then also because most of my working, all my working life, I've been working English now. So I actually have sort of more complicated feelings towards my native language without an, an accent. So I sound Japanese um, when I speak in Japanese, but um, it's kind of like this, one has these sort of weird internal feelings of like, okay, I sound Japanese and I should act more Japanese. And what if I'm not acting properly Japanese? Because if you spoke with an accent, people will say, oh, she's an outsider. Um, she doesn't know, she, she's foreign. If you're blonde-eyed, if you do something funny, they're like, oh yeah, that's just her. But if I sound and look Japanese and I do the same you know, faux pas or whatever it is, um, then it's just me being rude or clueless. So uh, it's always kind of this 
this sort of power, a lot of it internalized sense of um, am I inferior? Am I like so? It's like a, such a gift to be able to speak these languages um, like fluently without you know with my heavy American accent or whatever. And, uh, but it's weird that something that should be such a uh, advantage, right? Something that's such a gift, actually. I mean, I think it is such a gift, but it's unfortunate that um, sometimes it's taken as, you know, as a negative, but by, by yourself too, yeah. So that's yeah. Back over to you. <laughs> I think there is complexity, definitely, in in our relationships. Because and that's why it and that's why it's so hard for us to even become aware of it. Because there is just so much guilt, so much privilege, so many painful memories, as well as so many joys that English has brought us, and it put us uh, in that spot. So what what made me unique is that I went through that very fast pace, being at a place where I couldn't speak. I felt humiliated to within the next decade where I could still, or within five years, I had turned the table around. So I think that's why. Um, and yet, just speaking about it makes me so emotional. So thank you for bringing this up, speaking. So we have five people with their hands up and about 25 minutes left. Um, Ardi, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, had uh, his yeah. or her hand up. That's, that's correct. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so you, you asked um, for us to um, talk about what really resonated. Um, I wanted to go back to what um, Isabel said. Um, I really re resonated with this, um, uh, this, the part she said about being back in Korea and um, kind of feeling caught um, in between this, these like perceived notions of uh, what is superior and inferior related to um, English and how um, people um, maybe ascribe like a certain kind of superiority to to people who um you know have adopted um a, a more maybe let's say white way of acting because i'm um i'm indonesian and i'm also american and i when i'm in indonesia i have this um like what isabel was saying this um feeling that like oh people people will you know kind of give you this power like this this fantasy of like what it's like to come from the west or whatever but then you i also have this memory of what it's like being maybe in more um you know in the west or more western countries where you know i'm also brown and and you 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 have this memory of of feeling inferior because of that as well and you don't want to um play on that when you're in the you know the asian context maybe so i really resonated with that and um i never really heard that reflected before outside of myself so that was really really great and um 
Yeah, I also think this this uh, we're by speaking about language and speaking about power and by speaking about English, this is something really specific for Asian TCKs and adult TCKs. And I just wanted to say thanks for for uh, bringing this particular topic because it's really specific to our experience. Thanks so much, Jordi, for sharing. Can I just well. say something? May I? Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. And um, just listening to you, everybody's everybody's speaking. It's just I don't know why. I'm I'm, I'm past it. I'm beyond it. I've reconciled, and it's just so painful still to hear these stories. I think you in preparing for this forum. We've at least met three or four times talking about it. And at each time, it was just so hard to articulate because I would get sucked into my emotion back and back again. And I wonder why, you know, because what we're trying to really say is, you know, culture is important at the same time. It's such a superficial thing, isn't it? I went through international school, British school, American school, so I have all those accents. In fact, I can't even speak like an Italian speaking English. You know, it's, it's ridiculous what I do. But at the same time, past the jokes, it is so sad that we should be seen as something else, more powerful or sometimes less than who we are. Sometimes when I'm in America, I have to deliberately stand tall and proud that I'm not undermined. And then elsewhere, just because of my accent, people will look at me and give me the, you know, the power that I don't deserve, maybe. I just wanted us all to become aware of that and just be, you know, strive to be just human. So thank you. Thank you for saying all you did. I mean, I'm going to just shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. And thank you for the nice summaries of L2. <laughs> all I want to say is that's exactly why we're doing this session. It's not to get an answer. And I think if then now if you want, you can say, but that's my quick answer. That the, the awareness is the first portion. The, and, and to realize that so many times when we're young, we are internalizing and saying that's my fault. It, it's my fault that I'm not fitting in. It's my fault that I should feel privileged and guilty because of it. And perhaps I'm not worth it, worthy of the job, worthy of the things that I have gained. Maybe it's just English. Well, you know, to, to recognize that it, it did happen, it's there, and become aware. It's not about saying it's okay, it's not okay, it's superior or not. It's just about recognizing and, and having an adult like you, Mami, tell the student to, to just hug her and say, it's not, you know, whatever you're thinking, it's not. But we are running out of time, so I think we want to just sort of conclude a little bit before, and usually we linger a little more after the thing, so um, Sam will let you, um, get you to talk then, but we'll just conclude a bit um, first. Um, so from, from me, um, thank you so much, everyone, for coming. I think this is like, you know, language and power was one topic, but I think there's a whole big other topic of language and emotion, language and identity. Um, it's a huge topic. Um, but I guess the main thing, as Isabel has said, is that we, you know, it seems superficial, all of this, um, but it has a huge impact. And I think it has a huge impact precisely because it's superficial. Like it shouldn't matter, but it, it's been made to matter so much. And 
part of my heart is to sort of, you know, find a way out of this, um, crawl out of this thing. Um, so that's just um, anything else from Isabel. Maybe we could get Ruth to just say uh, um, a few words. Yes, I would love for Ruth to, if she's here, I'd love to hear from her. Um, yes, this is our third and last forum. I don't, we don't know where this is going. So mm-hmm. if you have any thoughts, please put something up. Under, and I'm sure um, I'm stealing the words from Ico here. But all I can say is, you know, this is so emotional. And this hasn't been talked about, which is why we've started it. There are many, many more topics that needs to come out and to be normalized. The moment that you realize I'm not the only one, that's the moment of normalizing, and that's why it's worth the time. And it's almost like we are moonwalking. That's how I felt. We are those first pioneers who the rest of the world will follow us. I mean, the world is becoming global after all. But we are within Asia, the moonwalkers, who are out there looking at the globe and seeing us as a whole. But we used to belong here and there and there. And those who are in one pond will insist that that pond is superior or inferior. But if we've been out there and we can cast it off, we will see the globe for what it is, one village. And so we are the pioneers. I'm complete. Hi, it's Ruth. I just really want to say thank you to everybody who shared and who came today. Just before you start, Ruth, um, for everyone, you know, not probably not everyone knows Ruth is one of the authors of Third Culture Kids Growing Up Among Worlds. She's sort of like the mother of TCKs. So go ahead, Ruth. Thanks. Yeah, my sister-in-law is here and I said, these are all my kids. Um, What you should know is that... uh, what you're doing is exactly what Isabel said. You're being pioneers. It is an incredibly, uh, not just an important topic, but it takes this whole topic to someplace new. Uh, several years ago, I was in Singapore, and Danao came from Australia when she was working on her PhD uh, just to meet and talk. And she was the first person that said to me, you know, you guys say you're, you have such a large view of the world and all that. She said, but nobody knew who I was when I went home from my international school. And you're missing a whole piece. And she was right. Uh, but I said, you know, I don't know that piece because it isn't my piece. I was an American who was born in Nigeria and went back and forth between countries. But of course, my school was in English. When I went back to the States, I spoke with an American accent. So I didn't experience what you all are talking about today, but my heart is with you because when I hear it, I think, wow, it's so critical. And I feel like uh, in 1984, when I did my first journaling, um, trying to understand my story, I'm sorry, I have a full house here. But when I was doing that journaling, for my generation, perhaps that was part of the pioneer work to start to normalize just the normal feelings of separation and loss. But um, what you're normalizing now is the whole next level that I'll never be able to do because I didn't live it. So I just want to say thank you for sharing it. I have learned enormously this morning. Um, I'm supposed to be doing something for a teacher conference and everything you share will be uh, part of my 
underpinning of what I do. So thank you. And you guys are wonderful. And I love what you're doing. And just keep it up. And I hope you have 5,000 more forums. Thank you.